pipe is one of the oldest instruments. To play it, you blow into a pipe attached to a leather or synthetic bag, then press on the bag to force the air out through other pipes to create sound. The Big Rap Show Podcast is kindly sponsored by G1 Reads, played by some of the top bands around the world, including our current champion of champions in Vararian District, and of course the Red Hot Chili Pipers. So thanks to the guys at G1 for keeping the lights on here at the Big Rap Show Podcast. Hello there, welcome along to another Big Rap Show Podcast. And yeah, I've sprung this one on you, haven't I? <laughs> Judging part two. Da, da, da. Yeah, floodgates are going to open. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. This one's going to be a big one. Yeah, for those of you who have not tuned into the Big Rap Show podcast before, then welcome along. We are the show for the piping folk. We've nearly 100 episodes in the can now. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. Oh, man, I'm so stoked. And yeah, as you may or may not know, we recorded a whole entire live show to be released for episode 100, and which is all sorts of awesome. I've almost, almost finished editing it. <laughs> you have to bear with me. I'm kind of glad that we recorded all this in advance to give myself the time to edit this thing. It's a three-hour-long live show. So to get it edited down to podcast length has proven pretty difficult, to be honest. And a lot of people actually got in contact with us following last week's podcast, telling us not to edit it. Put it up, warts and all. They want to hear all the mistakes and laughs and all that sort of stuff. So I'm still on the fence. I don't know. Uh, I would love to know your opinions. First of all, for episode 100, uh, do you want us to upload the whole thing, warts and all? Or do you want us to do it in a couple of parts, like part one, part two kind of thing? I don't know. I'm kind of of the thought of just releasing the whole thing and let it all go out there as episode 100, as it was intended. You can let me know. You can email us in, bigrabshow at gmail.com. With that in mind, we are the show for the piping folk. And if it's got bagpipes in it, around it, or near it at all, then we are the show for you. This week's show will be part two of a conversation on judging. If you haven't already, please do go back and listen to judging part one, because we will be referring back to it quite a number of times. Uh, so, yeah, this is part two. We're continuing the conversation on judging. We've got a lot to talk about, guys. Trust me. Unfortunately, this week, we're not doing any listener mail or anything like that because we've got so much to pack in all about judging. But, yeah, we will be bringing your listener mail to next week's podcast. So, feel free. Email us in. BigRabShow at gmail.com. All right. Before we get into things, I want to give a shout-out to our patrons, those guys who have clicked that support button on our Patreon page and who are currently enjoying tons of extra content. We've been really busy over on Patreon, actually uploading tons of stuff. So shout-out goes to Grant Rennie, Brandon Moreno, LoneStarPiper.com, Source Bagpipes, and Harris Kilts. You guys are awesome! Thank you so much for clicking that support button. It really does mean the world. And, yeah, Patreon supporters will get access to episode 100 a week early yeah so if you do want to hear what episode 100 sounds like ahead of its actual release then get yourself over onto patreon click that button of support and yeah for as little as a price of a cup of coffee every month you get your mitts and some loads of extra content videos and all sorts of exclusive stuff over there on patreon yeah I'm not going to spoil what's on there, but trust me, some of the stuff on there is kind of awesome. And yeah, you'll get access to episode 100 early, plus the Big Rab Show, plus 
podcast is what we're calling it, will be released for Patreon-exclusive subscribers, so that will be uploaded and started in December. I think we're starting out at the Big Rap Show Plus. So, yeah, a good time to become a Patreon supporter. So just head over to your page, click the button, and yeah, there you go. But don't worry if you don't want to click the support button and that, and feel free. Our podcast will remain free, and yeah, we are not going to charge for this by any means, but it's just if you feel like supporting us, you can. There you are. All right. Let's fly on, shall we? Judging. All right. Now, I'm not going to joke. Here, look at this. I have pages upon pages (laughs) upon pages of notes. Judging seems to be an absolutely huge topic, one of which that has been really difficult to tackle. You guys know yourselves how much work went into judging part one. That was a labour of love because it was during the season as well. Now we're in the off-season, we've had to pack together a whole load of work to put judging part two together. Now, the way we're going to approach judging part two may rub people up the wrong way. That's why I said strap yourselves in, this episode's going to be a rough one. Episode, the first episode on judging, we approached it from the line from you guys, the piping folk. We wanted to put it out there from the player's perspective. So you guys were mailing us in and asking questions from the prospect, perspective, I can't even talk, from the viewpoint of players. (laughs) You let us know your thoughts on judging, how you felt it was going, how you thought it was working, wasn't working, possible suggestions for improvement, little tweaks, mm. All of that sort of stuff. So we asked all the hard questions. We also had a pretty interesting interview with Winston Pollock that you guys had some positive things to say and also some quite negative things to say about it. So let's get into it first of all. We reached out ever since episode, the first episode on judging got put out. We reached out to you guys because we knew there was going to be commentary on this. We opened the floodgates and told us all to email us in. And boy, did you ever hundreds of you emailed in all from the player's point of view but also and most interestingly so from the judge's perspective we've been contacted by quite a number of quite big name judges in the piping game and all told us their story and this is what i want to bring to the podcast this week in fact this is what i want to bring to the podcast (laughs) from judging part two now i have to stress that absolute anonymity will be kept at all times and all of these stories names viewpoints names of bands businesses all that sort of stuff it's all been kept out now as some of the emails and some of the stories that have came through from judges does include names does include points of reference of actual dates and events and things that happens i've done my best throughout this podcast to remove all of that so we don't have to we don't have the opportunity to hopefully identify anybody. And we're not in the business of pointing fingers. All we're doing here is having a conversation about judging. Some of us believe that it works incredibly well, I have to add. Some of us, however, believe it's broken. Now, if you listen to judging part one, we kind of reached the conclusion that judging was possibly broken. And it's not working like we expect it to or even as we would like it to. So... Yeah, we threw it out to you guys for possible solutions. Let's get into it. Some of the emails that we got were quite scathing, not going to lie. Us on the Rab Show, we did 
catch quite a lot of flack for that episode. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into the attacks and the how dare yous and all of this sort of stuff. We're going to get into the stuff that I kind of counted as being constructive, being part of a conversation. I have to say, to those of you out there who emailed in and messaged in all sorts of hate messages and all sorts of kind of nasty stuff, that's cool because I know you guys are listening. So if we're annoying people, we're doing something right. (laughs) People are listening. That's what I take from this message. Uh, But for everyone who is sitting by their keyboards right now, getting ready to send off another angry email with a how dare you and oh my god, this is shocking, bear with us. Listen to the entire podcast in its entirety, start to end, and I have to stress, these are not the views of any of our show's sponsors, these are not the views of any of us here on the Rab Show podcast. I am simply reporting the story as I've been told by the judges themselves. In fact, I'm providing our judges with a voice that they didn't ordinarily have before, one of which where they talk to you guys, the players, directly. We are kind of the messenger, so don't shoot the messenger, as they say. We are the go-between here. These are messages, stories, reports, everything that we've received comes from the mouth of judges. Judges who are active in the competitive field right now and some who are not. So I have to say, some of these views can be viewed as being extremely controversial. And you guys will just have to... Take it with a pinch of salt and let us know your thoughts. We may well have to revisit this on a judging part three. All right. By that way of a precursor, I can now finally roll my sleeves up and let's get into things. A lot of emails were done in the strictest confidence, so I will treat them as such. I received a number of emails about commentary that we spoke on the VIP tent. That's where we're starting. We're starting on the commentary on the VIP tent. I'm going to read one of the emails I received. Dear Rab, in your opening commentary, you mentioned judges in the big VIP tent with all the free drink. Can I just clarify that judges are not permitted into the VIP tent at the World Pipe Band Championships until after 3 p.m.? Or when their judging duties are finished. Well, that's fine. I didn't know that. That's interesting to know that, actually. Uh, So, apparently, sometimes their judging duties cannot be finished until after 6 p.m. There is in no way any free drink or any food that there was by that time would have all been gone. So, there is no free drink. And if there was any food provided by caterers, it was gone by the time any judges were allowed access to the tent. Judges can buy drink from a small bar in the tent, which closes at 6pm. So this may not be an option for some judges who have to judge until that time. Okay. (laughs) I go on to say, this is his only real benefit to judges because they have access to toilets without having to queue up in between arenas. So that answers the question. Why don't we ever see a judge standing with his briefcase? Dancing a jig waiting on a portaloo. <laughs> we all know they all go to the VIP tent to use the bogs. So there we go. That has kind of solved a bit of a mystery with judging judges' access to the VIP tent. It would seem to be that judges are pretty much treated the same way as us as players. They are kind of restricted access to the big VIP tent. And uh, yeah, even when they do have access to it, they don't get free drink. And if there was any free food, it's gone. So, hmm. 
The VIP tent is still a topic for us, though. It is still something that the association put on or lay on themselves for the VIPs. So, who are the VIPs if they are not our judges? Well, obviously, they have to be the dignitaries of the day, the chieftain of the day, maybe maybe even the mayor of the town. Normally, the mayor of the town is normally the chieftain. Uh, So, yeah, lots of dignitaries, lots of people who are seen as being VIP can be in that tent. I don't know if there is free drink for them or what, but there's definitely a bar and there is definitely free food. There has been occasion where we have been standing in Glasgow Green, 7.30 in the morning, freezing cold, getting ready to tune up in the lashing rain. And you look in through the small little window on the side of the VIP tent and they're all in there stuffing their face with... uh, (laughs) Sausage rolls and cups of tea and having a whale of a time in there. So the rest of us are standing in the rain. So the VIPs, we don't know who they are, but we have now had it corrected. They are not our judges. Judges are not included in the VIP tent. They can only get access to this VIP area after 3pm. So there we go. We've had that corrected. So thank you to that judge for emailing that in. Much appreciated. It's good to get a bit of story actually, what goes on in that tent. Because I did report at the time... You're constantly seeing people carrying stuff into the tent, but you never see anything come out. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So, yeah, food and drink goes in and nothing appears to come out. So, very strange. It's obviously going somewhere. Anyway, let's fly on and talk about some actual judging, shall we? Yeah, the commentary about the VIP tent aside, let's get into the nitty-gritty, shall we? Let's talk about tune selection. There was some commentary on our podcast about judging when we talked about tune selection and how we thought that judges shouldn't actually comment on the tunes selected by bands. Alright, I got another email here. It's saying, hey Rab, you have mentioned on your Judging Part 1 podcast about tune selection and mentioned that judges should not consider this when reaching their final score. Right, okay, so we did do that. He says, but unfortunately, judges have to comment on this for various different reasons. We do, at times, make comments on critic sheets regarding the selection of tunes. Not because we don't like the tune, but we do it in a constructive way. All right, okay. So we all know judges do comment on tune selection. We've talked about it on the previous podcast, and we did say that we didn't believe it should happen. But now we're going to get a reason from a judge why they do. Number one, pick an opening tune that is melodic and creates impact to make us want to listen. There we go. That's a big statement right there. Pick an opening tune that is melodic. Now that's been a debate in the piping world for quite a while. Whoop, hit the mic stand. Ding, drink. (laughs) That's been a discussion in the piping world for quite a while now. Opening tunes are becoming less and less melodic and more like a frantic finger exercise. Does that make any sense? Blistering hornpipes played at walking pace, but are just machine gun fire. It's ridiculous how quick some of these tunes are. You know, um, so, yeah, I would kind of agree with that. People keep laughing at me whenever I say one of my favourite opening tunes over this last number of years is whenever Scottish Power played Castle Dangerous. I... uh, absolutely loved that tune the way they played it was so simple but it was so like this email is saying so melodic and with all the all the three or four part harmonies that they brought into it it definitely created an impact 
And in the middle of machine gun hornpipes, tunes like that really do stand out. Whenever you look back at all the World Pipe Band Championship recordings, you had the likes of Shots playing simple 4-4s. You had the likes of the Field Marshal themselves often dabbled in playing 9-8 tunes and even playing simple road stuff to bring them into the circle. You had bands such as Denny and Dunny Paces, one of the bands that really stand out to me, who were outstanding at playing simple 4-4 tunes, but playing them really well. Now, you've seen it recently... It's a bit, of a, a bit of a trend recently, especially in concert work, where bands are routinely picking road sets and turning them into something amazing. So, can we see this happening more often in the circle? Perhaps. Looking at this judge's opinion on an opening tune selection, I have to agree. They have changed my mind on this. If you have... A band going in there and playing one of these machine gun hornpipes. It's hard to tune in. It's hard to get your bearing on what the band's trying to achieve. And you lose the music. You don't really get the music until you get into the break. And you go into the next, into the display or something. You know what I mean? So big medleys, big fancy tunes that really show off the finger work and the intricacies of playing. That's cool. In fact, I would encourage it, but I would possibly leave it till the end of your set when you're reaching the crescendo the start of the set should be to get your feet under you should be there to kind of you know what i mean make that impact you know what i mean show your band has tone show that you can get that you know real good strike in and everything that's what you're after so this is what this email is saying pick an opening tune that is melodic and creates impact and make the judge want to listen. Another point on tune selection. In particular with map tunes. Select tunes that flow together. And if possible with key changes again for impact. So map tunes as we all know we can either love them or hate them. But where map tunes can fall down is when you're trying to mash a medley together. And the, the, the whole thing just doesn't gel. And I completely understand what they're trying to say with key changes and making an impact. Going from one tune to another does need to flow. And you need to show the judge that you have that understanding of putting on a musical performance. And having that musical flow between tune to tune and break to break shows that you're proficient in doing that. Also, if you can manage a key change to change the mood of the piece, all the better. So, again, I've had my mind changed. If a judge is in that circle with a clipboard and they have a tune in that selection that they think either jars with that or makes them think, hmm, that doesn't fit or perhaps that doesn't really go that great with their first tune and what's going on, I've, you know, I've lost my train of thought in this performance. I guess what they're trying to say is show... That you can pick melodic tunes that flow nicely together so you can show that your band can proficiently flow through your performance from start to end without it feeling disjointed. I get that. I understand that. That makes sense. One last thing. Select tunes that are within the capability of the players. This one is possibly the most important, Rab, and please stress to your listeners. Easier tunes played well is much better than hearing pipers struggling with tunes that the pipe major happens to like. That's possibly one of the most important points that this judge has raised on tune selection. That's one that I want to get across. As much as we were talking about machine gun hornpipes, there are some bands in there 
that possibly only half the band can keep up and play that machine gun hornpipe. So, yeah, easy tunes played well is, yeah, is so much better. Like I said again, whenever you hear bands playing stuff like Castle Dangerous, it could blow your socks off just on tone alone. Never mind the playing aspect of it. So that was interesting. So I agree. In this case, whenever we talk about tune selection, I will possibly retract what I said on judging part one. I am now convinced. You now need to pick within your player's capabilities, pick tunes that flow well and create an impact on your introduction. Should judges comment on this if it does affect a performance? In this case, now that they've argued their point, I can see the reasoning behind it. Why you could possibly put it down on your critic sheet saying, this tune is nice and everything, but didn't flow with everything else that came after it. Or something like that. You know what I mean? That's one thing. Yeah. If judges are going to comment on tune selection, they should give you something constructive to work on. Why the tune selection was picked on in the first place. What they thought didn't gel well. Yeah. We'll we'll get on to critic sheets as we fly on here. (laughs) That's another topic. But tune selection, I believe we've dealt with that. So thank you again to that other judge for explaining that position. And uh, very interesting thoughts. Very interesting thoughts. I'm sure you guys... um, Yeah, we'll have your thoughts on that too. Anyway, let's fly on. We had more commentary under another category. We did talk about merit placings. Merit placings. Yep, the system that we now have is what we place bands on merit. Before that, we had uh, points being awarded and bands being put in positions based on their points scored. The system of merit placings for bands was criticised in our previous podcast because we didn't think it worked. We said that bands were being rewarded, were not being rewarded on their performance. Now, we got an email in from quite an angry judge on this point. I'm going to cut out probably three quarters of the email here because it, it, it's a bit of a rant. Okay, But um, suffice to say... There is some gold in here whenever this particular judge <laughs> messaged in about merit placings. Said the system of merit placings was a clear point of attack for ourselves here on the Rab Show podcast. Saying that bands were not rewarded for their performance and the old system was better. They would argue that the merit placing system eradicates the opportunity for one judge to dominate proceedings. So by placing a favourite band of theirs streets ahead of any other band in the grade can be done more easily when awarding points rather than awarding them on order of merit. That's interesting. I I don't know. I believe even the merit system itself could still be open to abuse. Placing a band on points and placing a band on merits, essentially you're still placing a band. You know what I mean? So, got a number of arguments on this saying that the merit placing system actually works better than the previous points system because the points system can be worked in a certain way where other bands were just counted out. That, I can see... I don't know. I'm possibly going to need to look more into this. I've got actually two emails on the whole thing about merit placings. And yeah, one judge goes on to say that how the merit system is working and is working quite well and that we're wrong. The other judge goes on to talk about how 
the system that we have now is harder to fix. You can't have one judge who puts their favourites to the top of the pile all the time, whereas you could have done that during the points. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get this. Maybe you guys can help me on this. You can email us in bigrabshow at gmail.com. The merit system, the merit placing system we have currently in pipe bands, there is arguments for it and there's arguments against it. For those of you who don't understand what the merit placing system is, it's basically you have, say, 20, 30 bands playing in front of you that day. You have a clipboard in front of you and, yeah, you know how many bands you have to judge that day. You put them in order of preference. That's it. That's the merit system. Before, you had to give them a points scoring system. You give them so many marks out of 10 for their introduction. So many marks out of, I can't remember what it was, 10 or 20 for tone or something like that. Um, Especially for drummers, you get so many marks out of 10 for your introduction rolls. So many marks out of 10 for various different breaks. Integration with the pipes and also your finish. Uh, The technical, you got a technical score as well. There was tons of other stuff that you had to do with ensemble for drumming. And all of these all had an expected score that you got marked against. So you could take that score back to the band hall and say, right, guys, we only scored a two for introduction this week. What happened? You know, and you could work on your intros. Same way, these merit-placing systems, that's done away with. All of the points are gone. The, the point system no longer exists, and they're now simply placed on order of preference. Bands argue that this doesn't give them much to work on. If they... Like, I don't know, they had a real fantastic critic sheet and they finished 12th out of 12 bands. Like, I don't know, if the sheet says your band was fantastic but yet you finished flat bottom of the pile, what do you work on? So I guess the merit placing system is what we have at the moment. Our judges appear to be arguing that it's working. I'll put that out there. The judges that have emailed into the Rab Show do kind of argue the case for the merit-placing system, saying that they prefer it. They say that it's less open to abuse, and, and yeah, it's actually easier worked with as a judge. And rather than having to try and allocate scores for bands and actively try and work out like a mathematical equation, they can actually just order them in preference of what they felt the band deserved. So with that in mind, I can see that argument. But again, we're going back to the critic sheets. We're not having anything written in black and white to give bands back in the band hall to work on. We'll get talking about those later. Let's fly on to another one. All right. (laughs) Oh, man. This is possibly one of the biggest ones and created so much of a stir on our podcast. I was a bit reluctant to talk about it on Judging Part 2, to be honest. But this opened the floodgates and you guys mailed in in your droves. Alright? Now, you guys, players and judges, both emailed in about this. And we were talking about judges with business interests. (laughs) This completely opened the floodgates. Now, I have to say, I'm going to refrain from mentioning any names in this. You guys out there know who is standing in the circle with clipboards and who have business interests selling us pipers and drummers products, selling us equipment, selling us drums, pipes, kips, brogues, sticks, everything. All right, we know who they are and by no means are we calling their their judging prowess into question. We simply raised the point 
that if you're standing there judging a band and you were in the position that you had sold them a bunch of equipment, is it good for business to award them a high position or is it bad for position or is it bad for business if you mark them down? <sighs> Don't know. This is a huge topic area. You guys out there, the players, really seem to think that this is a huge issue. That's one thing I wanted to reflect here on judging part two. You guys say that this should not happen. In fact, we put that on judging part one. I think Winston Pollock even said it himself in his own interview, that he said that this should not happen. That judges who own businesses or have business interests in the pipe band world should not be involved in the judging process. Now, you guys seem to agree. Players all abound all say that if you're involved in selling products, you should not be there with a clipboard in your hand. However, judges have emailed us in on this very same topic and said on the record that if you do want to exclude people who have business interests in the pipe band world from judging, then you'll have very few on the judging panel. In fact, possibly 90, if not a load of the judges who are involved in judging all have some form of business interest in the piping world. Be that jetting off around the world, teaching workshops and all the rest, and actually helping bands out there, uh, as well as guys who own businesses and selling chanters and bags, you know, sticks and drum pads and all this sort of stuff. It's unavoidable. It's one of the things that I wanted to stress about this when we talk about judges with business interests. It really is unavoidable. Our pipe band world is so small. (laughs) It's so small. You're going to run into a judge with a business interest no matter what you do. Because judges are the people in the piping world we are to respect. The guys who have been there, done it all, lifted the trophies and lived to tell us the tale and then are there with clipboards eventually at that stage in their career where they can pass on that advice to the people coming behind them. Now granted, through this level of time, they may have began a business and it's their way of life. You know, jet-setting around the world, flying off to various different countries to do workshops and teaching kids and all of this sort of stuff, as well as selling products such as chanters, drums, bagpipes, whatever it may be. We have judges who are lucky enough to call piping and drumming their career. Now, would we ever call their judging uh, into any kind of doubt at all simply because they sold someone a product? Well... Here, Jimmy, I just sold you a chanter. I'm going to judge you tomorrow. And because you bought that chanter from me, I'm putting you first. I honestly don't think it happens like that. You know, if that guy, Jimmy, who bought the chanter from the judge, expected to win because he bought that chanter, then he's fooling himself. You have to play for it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, as much as this argument rattles on, about people with the checkbook in the back pocket and the clipboard in the front pocket. We've had the argument from players saying that they want it to stop. They think it shouldn't happen. But I would argue the point, the counter-argument that our judges are coming back with, saying that it is unavoidable. If we are to get rid of all the judges who had business interests, we wouldn't have any judges. Because simply, a lot of our judges out there are so involved in the pipe band world that they are lucky enough to call that their living. 
And as a result, they are world-renowned. Everyone knows them. They know possibly everybody as well. So it's almost impossible not to have a connection with at least someone involved in the band in front of you. So if you have a band playing in front of you, you're bound to know at least half a dozen, if not all of the band, or, you know, you're bound to know somebody playing in that circle. Because our pipe band world is a small world, and we all know the judges. We all know their names. We all know who they are. We know who they used to play for. We all know the prizes that they won. And if anything, this is all widely publicised. Everyone knows who the judges are. And in turn, our judges are every bit as much a fan of the music as we are. They love the pipe band world as much as we do. They buy all the recordings that we do. They buy the DVDs that we get. And a lot of them download this podcast like you do. A lot of the guys involved in the judging scene are in the piping scene. And the only way to get a 100% impartial judge is to get a judge who is not involved in the piping scene, knows nobody at all, and has absolutely zero interest in selling or doing anything in the pipe band world financially. I guess it's unavoidable. We are essentially an insular society. We look in at ourselves. We recruit our judges from within. And as a result, we have a system where we are judging each other. We are judging ourselves. And to get an impartial judge, as it may be difficult in some instances, as I'm sure you guys have said in the past, that you've had experience of this, I would argue the case on behalf of the judges that it is almost impossible to get a judge who knows absolutely nobody in the band in front of them. Also, it's impossible to get a judge who has absolutely zero financial interest in the piping world whatsoever, be it through teaching, be it through possibly even composing or writing of tunes or any aspect of it at all. Judges are piping fans. They love what we do. And this is their way of giving back to the piping world. Letting us have those critique sheets. Again, I keep referring back to critique sheets for a good reason. We'll talk about those. They're giving us those critique sheets so we can better what we do. So whenever we talk about judges with business interests, I would still stand over what we said. However, I'm presenting you with the argument that came back to us from the judges themselves, saying that it was almost flat out impossible to have 100% impartiality. We also got a number of commentary from different judges about the ruling about judging family members. This was brought into the light recently, I think it was a couple of years ago, when they brought a ruling in where judges were not allowed to judge family. Now, this meant immediate family. So son, daughter, uh, I think even went as far as cousins, uh, stuff like that, aunts, uncles, any immediate family. So with that in mind, that caused a bit of a stir in the piping world at that time. We reported the story here in the podcast. So whenever we were talking about impartiality with judges, this was one area where the association identified and thought, mm, well, perhaps judging a family member, it'll be really hard to cut them off the knees for a terrible intro. Maybe we may put a ruling in here to say that you can't judge a family member. They found this ruling. As you guys know, we reported the story that they enforced the rule and then they just had to kind of let it go because they found themselves then very quickly running out of judges. <laughs> 
We reported that at the time. We spoke about it at length, about how a lot of our major championships had judges judging the top flight, and it was simply unavoidable. They couldn't stand in the circle because, uh, yeah, they had a, either a son or a daughter playing for a band, or they had, uh, you know, like a, a cousin who piped for this band, and they're now coming into the circle, and they're there with a clipboard, and they can't judge them. Very awkward situation. One of which our association are still looking at. They're still going to address it in some sort of fashion. But for now, the ruling's been overturned and judges can now, again, judge bands with family members in it. Because it's simply unavoidable. Uh, because, again, like I said, our piping world is so small, it's unavoidable. You could be judging a band and suddenly realize, oh, oh, that's where my nephew's playing now. Right? Unavoidable. It's one of those things. It just seemed to happen when the ruling was brought in. And we went, oh, right, okay. <laughs> so will we see a new enforcement of the rule perhaps changed in a slight way that it won't just be immediate family, it will be extended family? Pfft, don't know. There was also a ruling brought into the solo piping world where you weren't able to judge anybody that you is under your tutelage. That's another topic that we could talk about for bands. I don't know if it's been enforced for bands, actually. Uh, but it is something that we could possibly look at. Um, I know it was brought up, I think, on a previous podcast before, where we were talking about judges who are actually seen tuning up bands and stuff and photographed and videoed and all of this sort of stuff, tuning someone's drones and then, uh, yeah, standing with the clipboard and, yeah, judging them that weekend. Awkward. <laughs> So I guess with that in mind, whenever we see this happening, should we have rulings like this in place that if a judge has a connection with a band in any way, they should declare that interest? Don't know. But if that is the case, it's going to be incredibly difficult to enforce because our pipe band world is so small. Our judges love what we do and they're there to help. And that's kind of one thing I want to put out there. Our judges out there are people, they're human, and yeah, if they're asked for help by a certain band, then sure, they're going to try and help them out any way they can. However, if they realise that, oh crap, I'm going to be judging you, then perhaps they should say, uh, set your own sound, I can't really tune you right now because I'm going to be marking your tone. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, that's another conversation. Right, let's fly on, shall we? Let's talk about the interview with Winston Pollock himself. A lot of you guys had a lot of commentary on this, and a lot of you had some positive stuff to say on this. A lot of you had negative stuff to say on this. I did say on Judging Part 1 that Winston Pollock is a very well-respected judge in the piping world, and a lot of you took uh, a grievance to that. Uh, a lot of you people out there really didn't seem to like him too much. <laughs> <laughs> suffice to say a lot of people saying that he is a very polarizing figure in the pipe band world some people love what he has to say and what he was trying to do for pipe bands and a lot of people actually didn't so why was i giving him a voice well to be honest why was i giving winston pollock a voice on the show is because i know winston pollock was a judge in the top flight he judged in grade one and i had the opportunity to speak to him i honestly put the microphone out there to any judge who was willing to speak to me and the only person who reared their head was Winston Pollock. I still stand by my guns in publicising that interview. 
I do think it was a really interesting insight into the judging world. I, again, thank Winston for his words. Thank you for taking the time. And yeah, I did understand whenever we released Judging Part 1 that there would be some backlash. And none more so from his fellow judges. We got a number of emails saying a lot of things about the Winston Pollock interview and saying that the only reason that he was he was able to be interviewed on the topic is because he is no longer on the adjudicating panel. He did talk about why he wasn't there anymore. He gave his own reasons for that. So we kind of addressed that in the podcast. So, yeah, the reason why we could interview him on the topic is because he wasn't a member of the adjudicating panel anymore. We didn't get into the reasons why he wasn't anymore But that's it. We weren't there to talk about that. We were there to talk about judging. So as much as people wanted us to shine a light on possibly any kind of controversy or anything like that that was around surrounding all of that, that's not what we were there for. All right. So I know that kind of aggrieved a lot of people. A lot of people wanted us to talk about the controversy and why Winston Pollock was no longer a member of the adjudicating panel. Sorry. That's not what we were there for. We were there to talk about the man's experience, his wealth of experience, I should say, um, at judging in the top flight. What's it like to be in that circle with a clipboard, with a grade one band standing in front of you doing their thing? To me, it has to be the most terrifying thing known to man. I would never, ever in my day, ever want to stand in an arena with a clipboard. And here are people who do it willingly. And Winston was one of those. Winston was the only one who came forward to us brave enough to speak into a microphone. And I'll put that out there for all of the angry emails that we got in. Everyone who has kind of emailed in and messaged in all sorts of, not threatening, but kind of really aggressive messages and stuff that you could nearly think, dang, have I actually really personally offended this person? So with that in mind... If you wanted your opinion to be known on the topic of judging, then why didn't you speak to us? Even now, judging part two, we have a lot of judges out there and we have opened the floodgates for you guys to come and talk to us, judges. But instead, emails come flooding in instead. So with that in mind, I don't mind. I'll bring your emails here to the pod and that's what I've been doing. But if you do wish to speak about judging and how you feel it's working and how it's not working and what we said was right and what we said wasn't right, then please do get in contact with us. I dare say we'll be approaching this topic again. But Winston Pollock came to us for judging part one. I honestly believe what he had to say on the podcast was incredibly interesting. It was constructive. It was also from the point of view of a good majority of the pipe band players here in Northern Ireland. Whether it reflected things in Scotland or even internationally, I'm not certain. But with that in mind... I, again, want to thank Winston Pollock for his time. Taking that time to talk to us on the podcast did take a level of bravery. And even ourselves putting that out also took a level of bravery (laughs) that we're still sort of paying for. Uh, So I would ask people, as far as regards to the Winston Pollock interview, to calm down, listen to what the man has to say, regardless of your opinion on him, whether you think Winston is this big devil of a man and he's just terrible or whether you think he is amazing and what he has to say is you know should be listened to regardless of your opinion listen to what Winston had to say then provide your commentary that's one thing I will say I think that addressed that controversy Uh, but yeah the interview from Winston Pollock if you haven't tuned in to judging part one go back 
listen to it in its entirety. It's incredibly interesting. And we do have another interview coming your way, judging part two, baby. All right, let's fly on. Okay, as you mentioned on a few occasions recently, Rab on previous podcasts uh, about a result where a band was placed first and then 11th in piping. This has been an isolated incident. You constantly report this on your show, and it seems to be a reg- that it seems to be a regular occurrence. This is not the case, Rab. Please take this into consideration that this result happened once throughout the season and should be seen as a one-off, not a stick to beat judges with. That was an email I got in. All right, this happened this past season. A band finished first in piping and 11th in piping. Two absolute polar opposite results. And this particular judge seemed to take grievance with that and was not too happy with me constantly, well, not constantly, but referring to it over and over again, saying that I was really surprised by this. It was not just that result, though, I have to say. This was not an isolated incident. This was not something that happened once. This happens... So regularly. It's ridiculous. Not just in that one grade. It happens in all grades. It seems to happen quite a lot. You get two piping judges. One can put them top of the pile. The other put them bottom of the pile. So I did ask the question on judging. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And thankfully we got a number of explanations in from actual judges. So thank you. If you look at summaries... Particularly in grade one this past year. This is coming from an actual judge, I should say. Uh, There has been, in the main, been a close relationship between the piping judges' placings. That's fine. That's true, actually, especially in grade one. But I know from personal experience that due to the size of some of the bands nowadays, especially in grade one, it is not possible to hear things on the opposite side of the circle. Bingo. There you go. That has it in black and white. That's our explanation. Perhaps some of the bands that they were judging were so huge, numbers-wise, that they couldn't hear what was happening on the other side of the arena. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, one particular judge said that they were judging a grade one qualifier. I'm not going to give the year, who the judge was, any of that. But due to the spacing of the judges' tents and the speed of which bands were coming in through the gate, there was no time for what we spoke about when we talked about conferring remember we spoke about how judges were able to speak to each other and talk about placings well this particular judge said that this yeah doesn't happen or even have any kind of an idea to get your thoughts together so there's no time to get your thoughts in between bands the spacing of the tents are so far apart and the frequency of bands coming through the gate you don't have time Uh, yeah, there has been occasions where some uh, judges have seen pipers who don't start their pipes, who miss their pipes, um, and yeah, mark them down as a result. Whereas, on the other side of the arena, the other judge doesn't see it. Simply doesn't see it. Based on the number of people who are performing in front of them, they don't see the missed pipes. So, yeah, that's one thing that we should stress Whenever we're talking about this, uh, yeah, the disparity in placings, it shouldn't happen. Yeah, the judges should be able to confer in between performances, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and 
even if a judge was to say, did you see that guy, Mrs. Pipes? Did you hear that guy had an early chanter? Did you hear that slip up in the reel? They don't have time, clearly. I have had a number of reports from judges who said this, uh, that whilst judging in grade two, actually, that they have had zero time in between bands. And if it's not written on the sheet by the time the next band's on the line, then tough. Here in grade one as well, I've had an email in from a guy who was judging a grade one final and said that the relentless pace between bands and the want for an an accurate mark on their critique sheet has led to an extreme high-pressure environment, which has led them not being able to perform their duties as expected by the general public. Ouch. They go on to say this. (laughs) Can I just say that it's amazing the things you hear when up close as opposed to the position of many armchair judges who are standing behind crowds 10 deep. (laughs) Shots fired. We got a lot of stuff like that, saying that we had said before in the past that it's not us in the arena with the clipboard. We're not standing there right next to that band, so we can't hear what the judges hear. And I guess in this case, it's very true. So, whenever we speak about that result being a 1st in piping and an 11th in piping, perhaps the judge who had them 11th was right. You know what I mean? Think about it. Perhaps they heard something that was so glaringly terrible that they had to mark them down. But yet, on the other side of the arena, perhaps they played a blistering performance and deserved first place. So, interesting thoughts coming from our judges. Yeah. This is one I'm sure will rattle on for a while. We've had a number of top flight judges telling us that it simply isn't possible to gather your thoughts in between performances. Never mind anything else. Alright, there was a couple of other commentaries that I'll squeeze in here before we get to the topic of the week. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they said that I spoke about people being singled out on critic sheets. Let's talk about critic sheets, finally, alright? Critic sheets. Judges are saying that they're insanely under pressure to write proper and good constructive critic sheets. This is difficult to do. Like I've just mentioned, it's under pressure in some instances where bands are just coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in. And at some times you could be expected to judge up upwards of 50 plus bands in a day. That is absolute insanity. I've said this before. It shouldn't be expected of a judge to do that amount of judging. It's just beyond anybody. But it happens. And yeah, it is what it is. Our judges try their best. Bad handwriting and all of that aside. They do try to put something constructive on your critic sheet. for To tick back to your band hall to work on. Now, I did mention that some sheets that you get from judges single people out. Yes. <laughs> I did mention that judges do single people out and they point fingers at someone. Well, my the one time that I spoke about was me. I missed the introduction to a part or something. I played the wrong thing. I can't remember what it was, but I was certainly singled out on the critic sheet. Judge pointed the finger at me and said, Hey, you lad, you messed up. Or someone else in the core had missed a part or something and they pointed the finger. Guy on the left-hand side missed his part or something. 
Judges apparently can do this. They can do it from the pipe core perspective as well as the drum core. They can point fingers at a particular player who has had an issue. Be it a sound issue, be it the chanter has went off, maybe their blowing's not as steady as possible, or be it a drummer who's forgotten a part, maybe they've missed one of their 40s and stuff. You know what I mean? So apparently this can be done by judges, but not in a vindictive pointing finger way, but in a way where you can tick that critic critic sheet back to the band hall and hopefully improve. You can tell that player, look, this judge noticed this. You're having issues here. Let's work. Let's get this fixed. It's not to apportion blame. That's one thing that I've got back from the judges who's emailed us. They said, yep, they do single people out and they don't do it for the reason of pointing fingers. They do it to try and help that one individual in the collective band. So, Some judges have said that they have been extremely disappointed by some bands' behaviour in the past. Some judges have said that they have seen bands actively crumple up their critic sheets in front of them, fling them in their sparring and march off without even reading them. A lot of them tick their their sheets back to their practice hall and never look at them. They get fired in a folder or a corner somewhere and they're not looked at. Judges have asked players of all bands to try and tick some time and read your credit sheets. Now, I know some bands out there, hashtag playing for sheets. I know some bands <laughs> who play and they know they're not going to win, but they want that judge's opinion on that bit of paper to tell them what to improve on. That I would encourage. Definitely. If anything, that's one of the things that I've got from all of the commentary I've got from judges coming back about critic sheets. Judges write these things down in black and white, then they allocate you a place. If they're allocating you a place which is lower in the rankings, there has to be something on that critic sheet to tell you the reason why. Look at your sheet. It's one thing that the judges really want to stress on this. I've had... Hold on. (laughs) I had nine. No, sorry. That one doesn't count. nine, Nine emails from judges asking players, check your sheets. Check your sheets. Check your sheets. They write these things down in black and white and they do stress that a lot of them write sheets that they believe to be constructive. As you will hear in an interview later on the podcast, we talk more about critique sheets. We actually get speaking to a judge who's involved in writing them. So we hear more about the process of how judging sheets are supposed to be policed to a degree. So you guys, band players, members out there, If you get a critique sheet from a judge, take interest in that sheet, regardless whether you respect the judge's opinion or not. If you thought on the day you placed first, you thought your band played killer, and for some reason you were finishing flat bottom, you need to read your sheet. Regardless if you've, even if you win, if you win the thing overall, you need to read your sheet to find out why you won, so you can repeat it again. Alright, take it from me. It's a bit of sound advice, possibly something that I can bring to judging part two. Judges are doing their best to help what we do. And this is their way of doing that. They give us these critique sheets. So tick them. Use them in the spirit in which they're meant. They're not there to cut us there, cut us off at the knees. They're there to try and help improve things. So with that in mind, you have my advice. Now Let's get into something else, shall we? Why? 
I have to say, first of all, to all the judges who have emailed us in, thank you. Thank you to all of you who have emailed us in. I have done my best to try and keep everything here as anonymous as possible. Uh, I did mention that some judges were judging in grade one and grade two and all that. But as you know, all of our judges involved in our pipe and scene, uh, a, lot of, a lot of you love them, a lot of you hate them. I would have to be honest and tell you that I would honestly hate to be a judge. These people are put in this position because they're possibly the best at what they do. All right. And to be put in such a position has to be a horrifying thing. Imagine having to stand in the grade one arena with a clipboard and having all these grade one bands marching on in front of you. How in the hell can you split some of these bands? How can you put them in order of preference by what you've just heard when all of the bands in grade one who performed this past season in 2018 I would honestly hold my hand up and say there is not a bad band in that grade. All of grade one bands are simply outstanding. Same in grade two. This year's grade two competition. Absolutely blow your socks off stuff. The standard continues to rise every year in all the grades. As much as I'm singling out grade one and two. All the grades. The standard is rising every year. We're getting better at what we do. We've reached a level of perfection now that for most is nearly unattainable. And for judges having to split hairs with the smallest, slightest little imperfection, it's heartbreaking. And that's one thing I wanted to stress. Judges out there are every bit a fan of piping and drumming as we are. They love what we do. If anything, they probably love it more than we do. You know what I mean? They wake up. All they think is piping and drumming. They go to bed. They dream about Peabrook. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I guess what I'm trying to say is that they're people too. You know what I mean? People with active minds, feelings, motivations, granted. But they also have opinions. And some of which have earned a level of respect to a degree where they have been there. Done that. Won the trophy. And now they're in there with the clipboard. So, with that in mind, once we're talking about judging part two, as much as you guys would love to lay into all of our judges, do spare a thought. Would you like to stand in that arena with a clipboard? I could, I've already said it on record. I definitely would not want to be in the ring with a clipboard. I think it would absolutely be impossible. So these guys who do this job have to be respected from that aspect, if nothing else. Right. That's, <laughs> whew, that's the first half of the podcast done. We're approaching things from the judging point of view. We're giving a voice to the judges. Like I said at the start of the podcast, in case you're forgotten by now, please hold off from your angry keyboard right now. Don't send us your angry emails just yet. Because it's time for me to get a big cup of tea. It's time for more on Judging Part 2. Are you on the lookout for a set of vintage pipes? Then look at Source Bagpipes. Bagpipes ranging from McDougall, Glenn, Stark, McKinnon, McPhee, Henderson, Laurie and Sinclair and many, many more. In addition, brand new set of pipes by Booth and Pettigrew. They have a no-quibble return policy with 25% deposit securing any set of bagpipes. Also offering a full payment plan. 
to be able to pay for your set of pipes over 12 months. Source Bike Pipes now have a range of vintage pipe chanters and vintage practice chanters in stock and are all up on their website, sourcebackpipes.co.uk. Contact Ross for more information. LoneStarPiper.com Serving the piping and drumming community in the USA for over 10 years. Featuring R.G. Hardy's full range of bagpipes, including Henderson and Celtic theme line of kilts, doublets and bespoke Highland wear like sparns and cap badges. LoneStarPiper.com Also offers tailored payment plans for any set of bagpipes. If your drum corps needs a new look, they can help you with a full custom design from Adanti Drums and custom bass heads from Evans and Remo. If you have any questions about any of the major brands they carry or getting that true, unique look for your band, you can contact Jeremy at sales at LoneStarPiper.com. LoneStarPiper.com. Check them out. The Horace Kilt Company, 150 Sandy Row, Belfast, offering high-quality garments with unique styles enough to cover any wedding, formal event or even pipe band competition. They can offer a full range of kilt and jacket combinations, all completed with Highland accessories, all available for sale or for hire. If you're looking for a Highland-inspired outfit of the highest quality, then look no further than Harris Kilts. HarrisKilts.com 150 Sandy Row, Belfast. Check them out. Hi, this is Ross Ainsley, and you're listening to The Big Rab Show. Ah, there you go. That was a shout-out to our patrons there. Thank you so much for clicking that support button. Yes, it means the world. Okay, you're listening to The Big Rab Show podcast, Judging Part 2. Yes, we are giving things from the judges' viewpoint on this week's podcast. Uh, yeah, like I said before, if you haven't listened to Judging Part 1, please go back, listen to Judging Part 1. Otherwise, all of what we've just said already will not make sense. <laughs> so you can go check our back catalogue. It's up. It's it there. Uh, this is the episode that's possibly the most downloaded. And I'm sure Judging Part 2 will be up there as well. <laughs> anyway, let's fly on. Tons more to talk about. Judging Part 2. Now, like we've done on Judging Part 1, we actually managed to get an interview with a... Well, a former judge. We managed to speak to Winston Pollock, which we mentioned earlier. On this week's podcast, good friend of the show, Mr. Chris Shepherd, took it upon himself to take an opportunity to speak to a judge and grab an interview for us, which I have to say a huge thank you to Chris. This was absolutely incredible. Chris knew that ourselves here in the Rab Show were in the process of putting this podcast together, and to date we hadn't got any actual interviews with active judges. So this was gold. So I have to say a massive thank you to Chris for putting this together for us. It really is incredible for, yeah, just for ticking the onus and actually providing this for us in the Rab Show. It's invaluable. Thank you so much, Chris. It means the world. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Judge Maureen Connor. Yeah, so it's actually really interesting to hear what Maureen has to say. And without further ado, here is the interview with Chris Shepard and Maureen Connor. Hey, Rab. Chris Shepard here. I am at the Celtic Hall in Albany, New York with Maureen Connor. She has graciously uh, agreed to let me interview her regarding judging. 
Um, and just to be fair, for full disclosure, she is my instructor, so if anything comes up, that might be partly why. Um, so Maureen, what is your piping background? When did you start and um, when did you start judging, etc.? Um, well, I've, I've been playing since 1985 when I took my first lessons with Nancy Tunnicliffe. Um, and I was, I had, as a, as a kid, I had played in marching bands all my life and had been out of college for a couple of years and hadn't done anything and saw an advert in the paper and that's how I got started playing the pipes. So I started in 85 and um, I worked my way through the solo ranks and in the bands and I moved um, my big accomplishments. I won the Nickel Brown in 1999, the Nickel Brown Chalice for Peabrook. And then I moved into professional in 2001. And then for bands, I played with uh, the Manchester Pipe Band, um, the Schenectady Pipe Band, the Berkshire Highlanders. And then later on, for many years, with the Oren Moore Pipe Band, uh, when we moved up into, uh, well, we were in grade two, and then we moved up to grade one. Um and I've also been uh, the director of the Scotia Glenville Pipe Band, which is now called the Capital District Youth Pipe Band because of just we have kids from all over the Capital District and led the, the band to winning the Worlds in 2012. And that was in, in uh, Novice. And we're going again next year. And um, so I became a, I went through the judging credentialing process with the EUSPBA back in I think it was 04 is when I started it. Um, and I think I've been on the panel since 06 about. I can't believe it's been that long. Maybe a, maybe a little bit more than that or, or a little later than that. And, um, and I've judged all over, all over the north, all over the, eastern, uh, all over the eastern United States. Solo contests um, from the very beginning, you know, lowest levels up to professional and then bands um, at all the different levels. Have you judged anything in Canada? Cause I know the band has gone there. And as you mentioned, they also have gone to uh, Scotland. Did you? No, I haven't. I haven't judged in Canada yet. I haven't been asked, um, to do that yet. You, um, I'm not quite sure what the process is quite honestly. Um, and with a band being still active in a band, I know sometimes it's hard. Um, in Canada, you have to be on the schedule for an entire day. So I wouldn't be able to, you know, I might be able to help out at some solos or something like that. But, um, usually it's the, the organization is a little bit different up there and I've not yet judged in Scotland. Uh, I know it's a big process, um, to get on the panel for the RSPBA. So, um, I haven't even tried to get, get going on that process yet. Should should there be, or do you know of any instances where a band or a soloist has had um, any issues of reprisal against them because they spoke out? You know, I have to say, I probably am in the minority in thinking about about this in that I don't think about that. I've never thought about... Um, that's actually not true. There have been instances where, uh, not as a soloist, but um, as a band member, there has been concern about questioning um, anything that doesn't seem quite right that happens at the World Pipe Band Championships. Um, but I think, 
This is a very hard question to answer. To answer the question about fear of reprisals for criticizing either a judge or the association, my feeling is that you shouldn't fear that, although I can understand why it would be difficult or that a competitor, either a bandsman or a pipe major or a soloist would um, would have, have trepidation in bringing such a complaint. But I don't think that, you, that they should fear it. I think... I think there's a lot of, um, what's the right word? A lot of, um, I think competitors think things are way more convoluted behind the scenes than they actually really are. For example, this year, for the first time, I went to Scotland and I didn't play with a band. I went as a spectator. And I actually got to watch several events. It was very interesting to watch a competition play out in front of me the way that a judge would see it. Very very few people, very few competitors ever get to see that because they're preparing, they're recovering, they're either performing. So as a competitor, you rarely ever get to see an entire performance unless you're first on. Anyway, my point is what I observed at the World Pipe Band Championships was utter professionalism. These people, these judges, are listening so intensely and to performances that are happening so quickly that they're having to make decisions um, with a lot of knowledge and a lot of background and... I guess from my perspective, I can't imagine that anyone would have time to, to, to mess with the results. I guess that's where that question comes from, fear of reprisals for questioning a result. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, that's where that comes from. Because sometimes you see results, especially in bands, and you just scratch your head and go, what the heck was that? It makes absolutely no sense. How could that judge have placed that band in such a position. I think we as competitors read into it way more than what the judges are thinking. They're just trying to get the job done. I know that that's what I'm doing when I'm judging a competition. Um, And I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I feel pretty good about the fact that when I put my judges hat on, I just go into that tunnel of I'm doing a job, I got to get a job done, and I'm focused on the job. Listen to the events, listen to the event, listen to the performers, um, evaluate first to whatever the placing needs to be, and then give feedback and critique to the competitors to help them along. Um, which actually that comes into the next question I have. I know with the RSPBA, they had some recent changes um, where. Uh, instructors or teachers are not allowed to judge their students. Do you think that that uh, is a valid uh, change, or again, do they read? Is somebody reading too much into this? Well, I think I think that um, first of all, we engage in what I use the term an adjudicated art form. It's a competition, and 
um, somebody's getting first, somebody's getting second, somebody's getting third, and everybody else is out. And we don't utilize a point system the way they do in other adjudicated art forms. Diving, figure skating, anything that's a sport that isn't about jumping higher, running faster, going further. Where you're using judges who are assigning, um, making a decision. And some of those, they're based on points. We don't do that. We are judging more from a holistic perspective. So taking away any hint of um, favoritism, I think is a good thing. I think it's a very good thing because it takes away the, the, it just clears the air a bit. However, having said that, and I know that there are individuals out there in the piping world who are very extremely critical of um, of situations where judges are judging their students. Um, here in the EUSPBA, that's physically impossible, and for of for a variety of reasons that are pretty complicated about how competitions are organized here, who runs them, and whatnot. Having said that, as as a judge, I have judged students. I have had events where my students have judged. And again, like I said earlier, I put my judge's hat on and I am focused on getting the job done. And quite honestly, I would be mortified if anyone ever accused me of favoring a student. I'm listening to what they're playing. And I think, I mean, I've probably judged you in a competition. Yes, you have. And Chris, I know, I know when you came up to me, I had to ask you, what's your tune? Right. What's the name of your tune? Because in that moment in time, my mind is blank. What, obviously, I know you. <laughs> but in that moment, you have presented yourself in front of me as a competitor. And I do not know what the name of your tune is, which is why I asked that question. So... I don't know, I hope... And after 10 or 15 performances, you do kind of lose track and... Oh, you do. You know, and even competitors that you might see from week to week during the summertime. What's your tune? I don't remember what you played last week. You know, as soon as they start playing, you, you're going to remember. But in that moment of, tell me the name of your tune or your tunes, I don't remember that. Along with the uh, same, same thought frame, although with bands um, again I think this was a change recent change with the RSPBA should judges uh, confer or compare notes after a performance now, I know that some of the questions were it's more of did you hear a grace note out of place type of thing or did you feel the tone was out on your side oh, um, as opposed to um just overall favoritism or what have you in that respect? You know, I think this goes back to this fear of, you know, this this is a fear of somebody dominating because certain individuals are going to have strong personalities and it is a delicate balance when you're judging with other people, um, but you're delivering your results 
individually. So conferring, I mean, here we sit down at the same table when we're writing our notes. They do not have us separated the way they do at the championships in Scotland where each individual goes into their own little tent to write their score, their, their score sheets. Um, we all sit at the table. We're writing our notes. Sometimes there's conversation. Uh, I heard, uh, did you hear that on, on, did you hear that? Did you hear that on the left side? Did you hear that on the right side? Um, what was up with the bass drum in that band? <laughs> I'm just thinking of an example. But I've always felt that there's um, a spirit of, of support and respect. So in the end, my decision is my decision. And from my experience, we never talk about placings in the USPBA until after. Until after all the sheets are submitted, then the judges will talk about, okay, who did you have first? Who'd you have second? And that kind of thing. But conferring, you know, did you hear this? Did you hear that? I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, I don't necessarily think it's, it's a problem. I, it, can it help? Um, sometimes I've asked for clarification about, well, how do you describe this particular situation? You know, what's the best way to say this? How can I say something in a more polite way? <laughs> I'm looking for help from my colleagues in those kind of situations. But I think it's, I think it's okay. Are judges, um, basically a judge goes, they get credentialed for becoming a judge. Mm -hmm. Is there any kind of a review process after they've become a judge, whether it's five years or ten years, where they have to re-up, so to speak, that they are capable of judging? Um, no. Not in the USPBA, no. However, um, we do have, as part of our... Um, annual meeting and, and this does depend on who is chairman of the music board um, but there will be a review of score sheets and so what happens is the whole bunch of score sheets get scanned and put into a file and then they put them on the overhead and of course they black out the names and they try to they try to disguise who the competitor or the judge is but we all know each other's handwriting <laughs> so so, okay, whatever. But in those in in that kind of scenario, um it's usually a situation where um okay, the the adjudicator really didn't give the competitor enough feedback or I got called out once for using the word good too much. <laughs> I got stuck that day and I couldn't think of another vocabulary word. Um so it uh, it um, so there isn't a formal process, but there is review, and the music board. Um, if any complaints happen come from from the competitors during the year, they go to the music board and they talk about it. And I know that they have. Um, I know that they have addressed issues with judges in the past. They have absolutely done that, and. They have done it not on a formal, not in a formal annual basis or five-year, ten-year basis, but rather through complaints that come through the system. 
changing the subject a little bit, um, in the performance, what are what are you as a judge or your fellow judges looking for in both band and also soloists? How how do you determine? So here's one of the things I find very interesting about adjudicating, and this is where I think some of the mystery does come into play. Judges are people too. So we have different personalities and different, um, um, uh, we, we place different importance on different things. Um, I tend to be the type who, I want to hear a good musical performance. And what I'm really, really big on is, are you playing on the beat? For example, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to, I judged uh, outside of the Northeast, and there were some competitors that played, and they had really quite, quite good execution of their embellishments. I could tell, based on how they played, I could tell who taught them. I knew I knew where they were from, and I knew who had been teaching them, So, I, and I knew that. So they had these beautiful, lovely embellishments, and it was a roller coaster ride. They didn't play anything. There was no upbeat. There was, it was very difficult. It was a very lurching kind of performance. To me, that's very disturbing. We, as, as musicians, it is our duty to play on the beat. That's the most fundamental part of our, uh, of our playing. Um, that's what a listener, a non-piping listener, would understand immediately. Additionally, our music is functional music. It has functional utilitarian roots. Playing for dancing, playing for soldiers on the march, playing for songs, playing parades, that kind of thing. To me, that's the most fundamental thing. So, and then of course, you know, is it is it a polished performance? Now, depending upon what time of the year it is, sometimes we have early competitions here, and they're in the winter, and some of the performances are, how do I say this politely, a little rough around the edges, <laughs> and and that's to be expected at that time of year. So. In a competition, you have to you have to know that going in. We, I, I adjudicated an event, a couple events at the end of our season, and it was it was lovely because all the competitors had very polished tunes. It was really wonderful way to finish off the season, and uh, you know there might have been mistakes or um, you know little things that are missed here and there, but they were otherwise very good performances very confident you know and that's that's really what a judge wants to hear is they want to hear confidence uh, what are your thoughts on the perception that judges are always putting themselves in a bad position meaning what do you mean a band, helping a band tune talking to the competitors celebrating the band's wins what do you mean or well um, I'll use our own, our own, uh, my own 
experience as an example, my first competition was the Queechee Games last year. Uh-huh. Um, I was having issues with my pipes, and I had asked you for assistance, and you said no because of your time frame, which I understood. It was a last gasp, and although I did muddle through it, um, it helped me. As did I performer. judge you that day? You did judge me that day. Oh, wow. Whoa, I've just okay. violated all <laughs> principles. Did I? Okay. Did you ask me before the event started? Yes. Okay. I had asked you, I believe, a few days ahead of time. Okay. Um, but if you're a judge, do you feel that another judge should be able to tune a band or celebrate the... Absolutely. Absolutely. We all need, we all need a lot of help here. Now... There is a line, and it's interesting because I probably said to you, I'll help you before the event starts. But keep this in mind. Okay, here's the perspective here. This was a grade four senior event. This was your first time competing. Okay? We're putting this all into perspective. Whether... If I helped you before you start before the event started, was that going to make a difference in the result? No. No, it wasn't. No. It was your first time and were you really ready for that competition? For the one event that you judged me, I felt I was. Okay. But you know what, you understand, we're talking about grade four senior here, and I mean no disrespect, because I used to be that in that place. Um, but it was your first competition, a little help, I don't see that as a big deal. I think judges should absolutely be celebrating people's successes, um, good, bad, or otherwise. You know, congratulations, well done, good, good for you, good, you know. Um, you know, because in the competitive world, we go out, we play, and despite all of this, we have all had experiences where we played our absolute best and got nothing in the results. And, oh, it's so frustrating to have that happen. And we've also played not so well and gotten that first or second place, which is really almost as demoralizing. Oh, yeah. Like, wow, I was best of a bad lot. Oh, that's humiliating. <laughs> right? We've all been there. We've all had those experiences. And I think, you know, I had an experience with, with the band this year where we played. It was, a pretty, it was a pretty good performance. We had come off of a week of summer school. We were really, really strong. And we didn't win the contest. And that had never happened. And I was really, oh, I was really frustrated. <laughs> I was really frustrated. But I said to myself, listen, if I don't respect the judges, I would never want to be disrespected as a judge. So I have to respect their decision. And I didn't hear those bands. You know, those we were last on. I didn't hear the competition. That's the big thing. Who, how many times have I judged and had anyone sit through an event with me? Rarely does anyone sit through an entire event mm -hmm. and hear the competition unfold. 
So I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also want to throw in something else because I had this happen at um, at one of the games this year where I was there a little bit early and a lot of the kids were kind of panicking about, will you tune my drones? Will you tune my drones? And I was not judging the ones who asked me. I was not judging them. So I tuned their drones just like a teacher would. Mm-hmm. One of the kids said to me, will you, will you tune my drones? And I said, no, I'm about to judge you. Go figure it out. So I didn't tune his drones. And then I had another person come up it was a parrot and the event had already started but I was waiting for a competitor so it looked like nothing was happening and the parent came over and asked me to tune their kids drones I said no the events already started I cannot you know I'm not going to move from my desk here I'm not doing that no no and that would have been probably a red flag for a lot of the other competitors absolutely you got to draw a line you know you have to you have to you have to show that line with um a lot of current and past uh pipe members having a side business or their main business in um piping whether it's selling supplies or pipes themselves or uniforms uh should they also be allowed to judge bands and soloists if they're a, a, a retailer or a, a, retailer, right. a merchant. Yeah, see, we're getting into that. You know, is, is, how, how is that different from, from, from um, how is that different from judging a student or how is that different from preferring a particular product? Mm-hmm. You know, we use, we use, am I allowed to name names on the show? Sure, <laughs> We do. We use uh, we use G one channers. I I made I I went through a process of deciding, and I decided on those channers. Now, when I'm a judge, I see bands that don't use those channers because not everybody uses G ones, you know. And I'm looking for a good sound. I don't really care what you use. So it's kind of the same thing. I think it's the same thing for for a retailer. I mean, in this day and age, though, how many retailers are there that actually... Are there any retailers that are also also judges? I mean, I don't even think there are any. Currently, probably not. Not that I know of. Yeah. I think if you're just a general store that sells a lot of different products, I don't see what the, the deal would be. But if you're a manufacturer or you're... You know, your uh, G1 or your Shepherd or your McCallum or, you know, the person who's making that stuff. But then again, look at, um, you know, look at Donald McPhee. Donald McPhee's a reed maker. I would never question his integrity, ever. He's one of the most, he has one, he's like amazing. Mm-hmm. So he's, he, as a, as a reed maker, you know, as a judge, he's listening for your sound, your quality of musicianship, your execution, your technique. You know, I don't think he cares whether you play his reads or not. He's just looking for a good sound. I would, yeah. With, as we were talking earlier about the um, becoming a judge and the training to become a judge, 
what do you think of a piping superstar becoming an instant judge without going through all the steps of oh, a judge? Oh, absolutely against it. Absolutely against it. Because, and, you know, this also goes to the argument of if you haven't walked the walk, how can you talk the talk? That whole thing. But, no. You, listen, you can play play circles around all of us, but can you communicate? You know, there are, there are some people out there that are wonderful players, wonderful musicians, and horrible communicators. And here in the, here in the EUSPBA, you are expected to write a clear and concise uh, crit sheet, score sheet. Penmanship is not <laughs> required. <laughs> But you, you know, you're expected to be able to communicate, and um, you know, I think uh, I think having a credentialing process is important for the integrity of the panel. Like that's absolutely important. I mean, I, I know there's arguments, you know, oh, this one isn't worthy enough, and that one isn't worthy enough, and you know, who who died and made that one God and, you know, that kind of thing. And there's all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's about education and training. And um, there there are people out there who, who want to become judges. But if you can't read and write and add and subtract and do some of the basic fundamental things, then that takes away from the integrity of the panel. And that's what the whole, that's what all of this process and a lot of these questions and a lot of the controversies are all about is that integrity. Well, that's all the questions I have at this time. Oh, phew, that was easier than I thought. (laughs) I'd like to thank you for taking the time to be be interviewed. Good, good. Thanks. And thanks to the Big Rab Show. And uh, um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully I haven't offended too many people. (laughs) Have a good night. Wow. There you have it. That was the interview between Maureen Connor and Chris Shepard. Guys, again, thank you so much for that. It was an incredibly interesting conversation, so thank you for giving us that perspective. Like we have heard there, at the very beginning of her interview, she did say that she is not an RSPBA judge. She basically only judges so far in the US. So for all of our guys listening here in the UK... Maybe scratching your head trying to figure out who Maureen Connor are or Maureen Connor is. She is not an active judge here on the RSPBA circuit. So we haven't seen her here in the UK yet, but you never know. We may well. But she is an active judge and had a lot of interesting things to say on the judging process, the topic and everything. So Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It was just brilliant. And if anything, I would stress to any judge out there, anybody at all if you take exception to anything we say here on the podcast please get in touch with us send us in a voicemail specifically so we have context but i am very aware that a lot of judges out there are reluctant to talk to us and that's one thing that i want to discuss on the podcast before we close the doors morning connor took a risk and spoke to us here on the podcast winston pollock took a risk and spoke to us. I have had so many emails from judges, 
from people, officials in the associations around the world, and from bands, men and women around the world on this one topic. And the one thing I want to say that overrides everything regarding, regarding this topic is one word. Fear. Abject fear. Seems to be, I'm not being overly dramatic by the way, there is a genuine fear out there by everyone involved in the pipe band world of opening your mouth. It seems to be as soon as you approach the topic on judging at all, everyone clams up. Everyone looks at you and goes, Ooh, really? You're going there? Judging is a huge topic area, and it's one of which that affects us all as players. We're all pipers, we're all drummers, we know and love what we do, and every one of us is involved in a competitive scene who have judges there with clipboards. But yes, none of us want to talk about it. None of us want to talk about the guy with the clipboard. What's he doing? <laughs> there is an abject fear that as soon as someone opens their mouth, they are opening themselves for to ridicule. Now, like I said, Winston Pollock opened his mouth, and he was wide open to ridicule by all sorts of people, including his old fellow judges. Now, I'm sure Maureen Connor may have a few things in her commentary as well that have possibly opened the floodgates for you guys to possibly start messaging in. So, with that in mind, I want to say, (laughs) please get in contact with us. Judging Part 2 has been incredibly difficult to put together because of a lack of people wanting to talk on the topic. If you have felt so moved by this week's podcast, then please mail us in bigrabshow at gmail.com. We would love to talk to you. If you do wish to remain anonymous, fine, that's okay. Mail us in, tell us to keep it anonymous, and we will. We will keep your name out of it, no problem. But essentially, we really want to speak to you in person. We want to record interviews with you, like Chris just done there with Maureen, and like I done earlier in the previous podcast with Winston Pollock. If we can meet you in person and get your own honest opinion in person, that's what we want. We want to talk to you and bring your voice to the podcast. Yeah, don't be scared of us. (laughs) We are here providing commentary on the piping world, be it positive, be it negative. We're having the conversation. That's the point. This is a topic where nobody wants to have the conversation. Everyone wants to just, oh, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. Because as soon as you mention that you're complaining about judges, then wham, you'll get hammered with the big hammer of the association and you'll never see the light of day again. It seems to be a real genuine fear amongst players, but also amongst judges. Judges are absolutely terrified to mention anything to do about what they're at. As soon as they mention, well, you know, I did mark you down because of this, then they're just waiting for the backlash. You know what I mean? So, love them or hate them, judges are very much a part of what we do. We have to have judges to have a competition. Otherwise, it's just a performance. So, with that in mind, the judges we have put in place are there because of us. We have put them in that position. Judges go through such a arduous pathway to become a judge that it is almost impossible to go in there not knowing what you're doing. Judges with clipboards should have a body of knowledge that they can go in and apply and give us an honest opinion. 
like I've said before on this judging topic, this is a musical art form. We are competing at art. Do you think Picasso was doing his paintings and all the rest and somebody was there with a clipboard saying, yeah, didn't like the way you done that. Yeah, paint it again. You know what I mean? This is what makes piping and drumming so weird. <laughs> it's competitive art. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. So whenever we can start complaining about the judges, one man's art is another man's trash and vice versa. <sighs> what a heavy topic. What a heavy topic. But the overriding feeling through all of this is absolute fear. Even ourselves here in the Big Rap Show, we're taking a massive risk by bringing this topic to the spotlight in the first place. And I'm not joking. I've said this already on this podcast. The amount of messages we got in, we would almost think that we should pull the plug. And at that time, it was either fight or flight. Do you know what I mean? Do you Seriously, at that time I was thinking, Ooh, we have just opened the floodgates here. This is going south really quickly and yeah we got a lot of hate-filled messages on that and yeah we come out the other side of it we are here for you guys the piping folk be it judging be it sexism be it it, uh, we had another topic of people with disabilities playing we had all sorts of big heavy hitting topics that's what we're here for we're here to talk about the small stuff as well as the big stuff. Judging is big stuff. And we're not scared of it. We're talking about it because it happens every weekend. And that's what we know and love. So why not talk about it? So we all know that we all go to band practice two or three nights a week. And that's all we talk about. Oh, who have we got this weekend? Oh, we've got this judge and that judge and that judge. Okay, well, we better play it like this. That's all we talk about. <laughs> so why not talk about it here on the podcast? Talk about it publicly. Get the message out there. Let pipers and drummers out there know that they're not alone. They're having the same thoughts. Uh, Such a massive topic. Our judges are on one corner, scared out of their mind. Our players are on another corner, scared out of their mind. And in the middle is us here in the Rab Show podcast. (laughs) Trying to be a voice for both of you. <laughs> Woo! There you go. Right. Like I said before, I challenge you. If you do feel so moved by anything we've discussed on judging part one or two, please get in contact with us. That email address, bigrabshow at gmail.com. Do try to keep the aggression levels down, mind you. We have done our best to bring this in a balanced approach. Previous podcast was all from the player perspective. This one is from the judging perspective. So with that in mind, please treat it accordingly. And yeah, feel free. Get in contact with us. Be you a player. Be you a judge. We want to hear from you. And who knows, if we get enough of a response from this podcast, we may revisit judging again for a judging part three. (laughs) Uh, Okay. That's it then for another Rab Show podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and thank you to everyone involved in the creation of this podcast. Thank you to all of our anonymous contributors, of which there was many. We had a lot of you mailing in your stories, your commentary, and 
yeah suggestions and things and everything that was on judging part one i have to say a special thank you to chris shepherd and maureen connor thank you so much for your interview guys that was really incredible that meant the world thank you so much and to you guys for downloading this podcast please share it with your mates tell them about our wee show and what we're doing we're talking about the big topics and the small ones here in the piping world we are here for you guys so yeah share it with your mates don't forget, subscribe to us if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, all those places where you can get a podcast. So each and every week when one gets uploaded, you'll get a ding, a little notification to let you know that we've uploaded another one. And yeah, you'll never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can help support the show by clicking that support button on our Patreon page and you can get tons of extra content all sorts of awesome extra content and plus you'll also get your hands hopefully on episode 100 a week before it's due to release so there you go episode 100 is around the corner so don't worry uh yeah if you do want to hear early go along to patreon and click that support button thank you so much everyone for all of your help with putting this together the rab show team all of you guys you guys are awesome thank you so much for all of your prep work and research thank you to everyone who's emailed us in about your stories and everything normal service shall be resumed next week we'll be talking all about listener mail and another topic of the week as normal grant don't forget get your merch on the bigrabshow.com christmas is coming yeah when you get your shirts in and your hoodies and stuff for your loved ones yeah let them know that you're a listener of the rab show podcast by rocking a rab show shirt awesome all right thank you so much for clicking the download button folks share it with your mates and we will see you again well, that's it for another Big Rab Show podcast. Thanks so much to our sponsors, G1 Reads, played by bands around the world, including our current champion of champions in Verarian District. Don't forget to check out thebigrabshow.com for all of your Big Rab Show merch and news, views and chat throughout the week. Until next time, guys, we'll see you right here on the Big Rab Show podcast. All the best. <laughs>